Perfect. Well, I think what the what I saw up there was that Apple Crisp one, which is amazing. I personally am a pumpkin pie fan. Like, put some whipped cream or some powdered sugar on it. It's delicious. What I will say is this: if I come into contact with a pumpkin spice latte. I have never had a pumpkin spice latte, nor will I ever try a pumpkin spice latte. It's, it, thank you, thank you, thank you. It, it is right now become a matter of pride for me. Uh, for the same reason, I will not try peaches or mangoes. Um, if you have a problem with that, please pray for me. Speaking of prayer, uh, my name is Ashish. I'm really excited to walk through the word together this morning, but let's pray and open our time together. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are such an awesome God. We thank you that you are our shield and our strength. And we thank you that you invite us into a relationship with you, that you speak to us and allow us to speak back. How amazing it is to get to know you more. Lord, would you guide us through this text of Hebrews? Spirit, would you change our hearts, draw us closer to you? We commit this morning to you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, well, I remember that one of my favorite gifts I got as a kid, my parents got me, was a Sony CD Walkman. There's going to be a picture on the screen. Now, some of you, how many of you actually used one of these Sony CD Walkmans? Can I see those comments on Facebook? Maybe a heart, maybe a like. Some of you, the wiser in our congregation, may have used a Walkman which actually held cassette tapes. Now, if you know what a cassette tape is, please let me know after the service. I'm just kidding. I'm young, but I'm not that young. Um, all right. What was so revolutionary about the Walkman was that you could take your music wherever you went. You could use it while you were cleaning up your house. You could use it while you were walking around the neighborhood. You weren't bound to one location. Now jump forward to the year 2020, most of us carry around these. We don't have to carry around a bag of CDs because with a swipe of a thumb, we have access to thousands and thousands of songs. Now while the Walkman was unbelievable in its time, going back to jogging with a Walkman when you could play all the music you need on your phone would be silly. We've stepped into a new way of life and going back to the old way of life would be a life weighed down with cumbersome objects. Some of you have had these CD wallets that you've carried around in your backpack when you had these Discman. Now, the analogy isn't perfect because with a phone comes lots of distractions. And for all you Android users, we're praying for you. Please hop on that iPhone trend. But the invitation to step into a new way of life, away from the old into the new, is what our text is about today. Our text actually compares two ways of life. One way of life is based on what we do, and one way of life is based on what God has done. One way of life is based on what we do, and one way of life is based on what God has done. Now, something I struggle with on a daily basis is what I call a transactional relationship with God. It's a relationship based on performance, based on what I do. Now, we see transactions all over the place. If I go to a grocery store, I pay something, and I should get something in return. Or if I treat someone nice, I expect to be treated nice in return. These are transactions. Now, a transactional relationship with God might sound something like this. 
if I do something that pleases God, God will bless me. And if I do something that disappoints God, God will punish me. Or worse yet, God will leave me. And I do this all the time. I get something wrong, and then I spend all this time trying to earn God's forgiveness again and again. I do things like read my Bible more, or I pray more. In fact, in my journals, you can look last year, I didn't sin past Thursday. Thursday was the day I sinned. Friday and Saturday, I had nothing. Because I needed Friday and Saturday to build up points with God before Sunday morning. I was so worried that if I sinned on a Thursday, God would leave me mid-worship set on Sunday morning. Now, habits like reading your Bible and praying and going to church, they aren't bad. Yet I believe many of us have twisted it so that when we engage in these spiritual practices, we aren't approaching a God of unfailing love. But in a transactional relationship, we find that we're approaching a God who we think is always disappointed. Does anyone else resonate with this? Resonate with this life where you're almost looking over your shoulder wondering when God is going to punish you. Is God disappointed in me? I tend to find myself more drawn to a transactional relationship when life gets unstable. It's when the relationship is broken, when the job is lost, when the pandemic sets in. You just fill in the blank. It's almost a way that I have found I can control my circumstance. If I can control what God thinks of me, and interpret my circumstances through that, that's some semblance of certainty. That's some semblance of control. I can say, oh, I know that this happened because God was mad at me. Or, oh, I know that this happened because God was pleased with me. Yet a life rooted in what I do is so filled with fear and obligation and exhaustion. Maybe some of you are there right now. Now, the audience of the letter of Hebrews was going through a difficult time. Imagine this group of Christians on the outskirts of society. They were within the Roman Empire, and they were facing opposition from not only their Roman neighbors, but from their neighbors who followed Judaism. These Jewish and Gentile Christians were sometimes feeling ostracized. Some were even losing their life. Now, we might not be able to completely understand what they were going to, but what we can resonate with is that things were unstable. And in the midst of this instability, the author knew that the readers of Hebrews would be tempted to go back to something familiar, go back to an identity they had before. This identity was based in what the author calls the Old Covenant and was this conditional, transactional relationship with God. It was based on what they did or what they were able to avoid doing. Like the Walkman before, the Old Covenant was revolutionary in its time. Yet, like the iPhone, the author shares the news that Jesus had introduced a better way of life. It's good news that encompassed what the Old Covenant could do and so much more. The audience of Hebrews was invited to step into this relationship, and I believe that invitation is there for us today. So our text is in the book of Hebrews chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open up your Bible. You can find Hebrews between the books Philemon and James. Uh, If you use an app, you can turn to the app and go to Hebrews chapter 8. And you can follow along on the screen if you don't have either of those. Now if you've been following along in the reading plan, you know that the author of Hebrews has been building on this theme of Jesus being the best. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the high priests. And the author is going to continue this theme and say Jesus is not only the best, but he brings a better relationship. 
He brings a better covenant. The author is going to do this by quoting the Old Testament through the lens of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And when the author does that, it reminds us that the Old Testament and New Testament, they aren't separated. They are all the story of God. And we can see God's love and mercy woven throughout the text. So I'm going to begin with Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. And you can follow along on the screen. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 says, But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, or the high priests, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, and this is where the author of Hebrews actually quotes from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. All right, before we go on, the author references the old covenant. What is it? Well, we could do a whole series on the old covenant, but here's a brief overview. In the Old Testament, we find a God who is loving and good. And that God wanted to be in relationship with the people of Israel. So God did what was revolutionary at that time. He made a covenant relationship with the people of Israel. Nowadays, a good example of a covenant relationship is the covenant of marriage. It's this promise made between two people that they will be in relationship with one another forever. Just sit with that for a moment. The God of the universe, the God of creation, the awesome God that we were singing about, that God looked down on humanity and said, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to enter a promise with you. So God said, and this is kind of a sum up of what I believe is in the Old Testament. God said, I love you to the people of Israel, and I want you to be my people. So here are these rules. These rules will help define you as my people and help you care about the things that I care about. Now, if you keep these rules, I will bless you, and you will be able to stay in the land that I've given you, or the promised land. And when you don't keep these rules, and I know you're probably going to fail, I'm going to institute this sacrificial system. So when you stumble, these yearly sacrifices will orient your heart back to me, and they are going to remind you not only of my justice, for I'm a holy God, but they're also going to remind you of my love, for I am a loving, a gracious, and merciful God. But if you persist in this disobedience, you're going to lose the ability to stay in the promised land, and you're going to go into exile. See, this covenant was conditional. It had an element that was based on what the people did. If the people followed God, they enjoyed blessing. Yet if they continually turned away from God and turned to their own false gods, they would go into exile. Unfortunately, this is what happened. The author of Hebrews quotes the prophet Jeremiah in verse 9 and says, Because they, or Israel, did not remain faithful to my covenant, I turned away from them. They broke their covenant with a holy God, and so God let them go into exile. Now, if this is where the story ends, if this was the only covenant made in Scripture, we would be doomed. Yet some of us, myself included, live as if this is the only covenant that exists with God. We live striving to please God, not because we love him, 
but because we fear what I think is a spiritual exile. That God, like sitting in a swivel chair, is going to turn his back on us the moment we do something wrong. He's going to leave us. He's going to be disappointed in us. And we live a life based on what we do trying to avoid this. But this is not the end of the story. Israel served a God who deeply loved them and always had in mind to make a new and final covenant. It was still about God desiring to dwell with his people, yet God was going to hold up both sides, which we see God planning to do from the beginning. There's even a foreshadowing in Genesis 15 with God's own covenant with Abraham. God would be faithful for us when we couldn't stay faithful to him. And God was going to build this new covenant on, verse 6, better promises, not better performance. This relationship would be based on what God has done rather than what we can do. And this relationship was brought through Jesus. So now we're going to read Hebrews 8, verse 10 to 12. Also, thank goodness for large hands, because I don't know how I could do this with smaller hands. All right, here is the new covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or them say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This new relationship would be not only for Israel, but all who responded to that invitation, which God also foreshadowed through Abraham when he said, through you all nations will be blessed. So now we can all choose to step into this new covenant. And when we do step into this new covenant, this new relationship, I believe that we find Jesus transforms us in three ways. And I'm going to unpack those three ways today as we consider what it means for our relationship to be based on what God has done rather than our relationship with God to be based on what we have done. The first thing mentioned is a transformation of our hearts. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. It's like tuning a guitar string to a certain note. God tunes our hearts to what his heart beats for. Every desire, every motivation would be in line with God's. And one step further, God would not only align our hearts to his, but he would place his Holy Spirit in our lives to empower us to live out these desires for the sake of others and for God's own glory. When we look at the rules under the Old Covenant, we see a list of hundreds and hundreds of laws. And this is what the readers of the book of Hebrews would have known. They would have known this list of hundreds of laws. These laws were meant to help Israel live set apart, help them care for the poor, help them pursue social justice, help them live with integrity. I almost think of it like getting a massive chore list and feeling like, how in the world am I going to do this? When we look at what God desires today, it might feel the same. How in the world can I love my neighbor? How can I live set apart in thought and action? How can I stand up for the vulnerable? How can I do all these things? Under the new covenant, we see that God has transformed us by giving us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do these things. And these would not flow from a place of needing to earn God's love, but would overflow from receiving God's love. Now, this unfailing love leads us to the next transformation that we find the new covenant brings. So, we have Jesus transforms our hearts, and second, Jesus transforms our relationship. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. Okay, under the old covenant, the people of Israel knew of God, but very few had a relationship with God. You had the important people, so you had the prophets and kings in the Old Testament that were able to talk to God and hear from God. And you had the high priest, which you'll read about later in Hebrews, that was able to enter God's presence once a year. But that was really it. Under the new covenant through Christ, the beautiful thing is you don't have to be important to have a relationship with God. You don't have to be important to have a relationship with God. It says in Hebrews, from the least to the greatest, all will know me. We all have access to a relationship with God. We have been invited to be God's people. And not only have we been invited to be God's people, but we are elevated to the status of God's sons and daughters. The same spirit placed in our hearts that empowers us is the same spirit that allows us to cry out to God, Abba, Father, to refer to him as our Father. This new covenant would create a space to be vulnerable before God, a space to communicate, a space to experience deep love and grow in our understanding of God as we walk step by step in the spirit. We no longer have to interact with God through someone else, but are able to interact with God individually and personally. A side note that I have here is for those watching at home and for those who are here, I hope you've been able to experience God's justice and grace. But these sins were never meant to be the eternal solution. In Hebrews 9.10, we read that these were, or the sacrifices, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. They were applying until the time of the new order. These sacrifices were pointing to the true forgiveness, the true order that was going to be brought through Christ's death and resurrection. God decided he was going to hold up both ends of the covenant. God wanted to be in relationship with his people and was going to offer himself to meet the demands of justice to cover the sin that separated us and to clothe us in grace, to give us a new identity. And this new identity would be eternal. There would be no need for sacrifices every year because Christ has sacrificed once and for all and has now clothed us in his grace, his freedom, his love, his forgiveness, his victory. That's our identity now. And nothing can separate us from this relationship of love with God. Throughout Hebrews 8, we see Christ fulfill the old covenant. This amazing agreement was made in the Old Testament because God wanted to be in relationship with the people of Israel. And now because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, there can be that relationship not only with the people of Israel, but all who choose to step into this invitation. So the author of Hebrews asks the readers, why would you go back to the old covenant when Christ has fulfilled that? Why would you go back to a life based on what you've done when now you can step into a life based on what God has done? It's almost like this analogy of going back to a Walkman as opposed to sticking with a device like an iPhone that is built on that technology to do even more. It would kind of be silly. So going back to the two ways of life, we can let our lives be defined by what we do or let it be defined by what Jesus has done. So I've put together an image that might help, and you'll see it on the screen here. This image is uh, inspired by a British pastor named Mike Breen. You see in this triangle, we have God at the top, and then we have two sides. On one side, we have our identity, and on one side, we have life. And on the left side, you'll see a life based on what I do. 
This is that idea that God will bless me if he's pleased with me. This is that idea that God will punish me if he's disappointed in me, if I do something wrong. And what you'll see, and Tony had it up on the screen, what you'll see is when we live a life based in what I do, based in that mentality, it leads to a life of obligation, fear, and control. And worse yet, that can also become the gods that we begin to worship. We begin to worship a god of obligation, fear, legalism, and control. And when we live a life based on what I do, not only does that lead to a false god, but that can lead to an identity that is false. In my own life, when I've lived a life based on what I do, it's led to me actually saying to myself, I'm a disappointment. I'm all alone. God has put me on the sidelines till I can figure out what's going on in my life, and only when I'm perfect, then God will use me. What we see in Hebrews 8 is we see that Jesus offers a new way for our relationship to be defined with God. No longer is it defined by what I do, but it's defined by what God has done, by what Christ has done. And when we live into this relationship based on what Christ has done, we find that we have a transformed identity. If you believed you were truly loved and forgiven, if you believed you were chosen, if you believe you were empowered by the Spirit to face the brokenness and sin in the world, how would you live? Christ invites us to remove the burden of performance and receive a life based on what he has done, based on the promises that he will never leave or forsake us, that nothing can separate us from his love, that my sins no longer define me, that death isn't the end. This is the story that Jesus invites us to, a story not defined by the Old Covenant, but a story realizing that Jesus has come and fulfilled the Old Covenant and leads us into a New Covenant way of living. And I think as a church, if we start to live not based on what we do, but actually live based on what Christ has done, and our relationship with God is based on what Jesus has done as opposed to based on what we do, I believe the way of life that flows from that is the difference that Jesus makes. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are and thank you that you are a God who has fulfilled the old covenant. You're a God who desires to be in relationship with us. And so Jesus, I pray that as a church, we don't live lives based on what we do, but based on what you have done. Lord, I pray that we live lives that are surrendered to the transforming nature of your spirit. Lord, would you remind us that we are loved and forgiven? Would you remind us that we are invited to be a part of your family? The King of Kings calls us his own. And would you remind us that you have placed your desires on our hearts and you've given us the spirit to empower us to live out those desires for the sake of the world and for the sake of your glory. And so, Jesus, we celebrate the story that you're inviting us into. We thank you for the time that we've had to gather together and walk through your word. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray.